This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. This is what King Solomon writes at the end of Proverbs. We say every Friday night before Kiddush in the Eishas Chayel, Chagra ba'oiz masna, you girdle the loins. If you want the loins to be able to go even quicker, you have to girdle yourself. Before battle, before you go on a trip, you girdle yourself. What do you girdle your loins with? Oiz, with strength. What does strength refer to? Oiz refers to the oral taira. When you study the oral taira, this gives strength to the faith. This nourishes and nurtures. This faith that's already acting as loins, that's already upholding and nurturing the mind and the heart. But to give it even added strength, you girdle yourself. With what? With studying of Torah. So by studying the oral Torah, studying Talmud, you strengthen your faith, which in turn strengthens your mind and your heart, and it enables you to be able to pray and to connect even better. So it's a very interesting connection that he's making. Because here, the whole point is, how do we strengthen our prayer, our mind, our heart should be able to focus better, concentrate better, feel centered, bring our faith to up, allow it to come part of our consciousness. And he says by studying the Torah, studying the oral Torah, studying Talmud, this gives strength to your faith, which gives strength to your mind and heart. It's not an obvious connection. Studying Talmud, I'm studying, I'm engaging my mind, I'm studying legal law, I'm studying, how is studying Talmud going to help me pray better, more passionately? How is studying Talmud going to help me perceive godliness even deeper, even clearer, a clearer perception of godliness? And that's what he's going to explain now. What's the connection? Why studying of the Torah girdles your loins and strengthens your faith, which in turn strengthens your mind and your heart. But what gives the power and strength to the loins, i.e. faith, to support and sustain the head, i.e. the intellect that contemplates Hashem's greatness, and the arms, i.e. the love and fear of Hashem? It is one's involvement in and the study of the laws of the oral Torah. For the Torah is the food that nourishes the soul's faith. And the oral Torah is the manifestation of the supreme will. The oral Torah specifically reveals Hashem's will. The written Torah tells us what Hashem wants. 613 mitzvot, Hashem desires, Hashem wants. But it's only, as he's going to explain later on in the 29th letter, this is the first letter, that the Torah, the oral Torah explains and reveals to us what Hashem wants because the Torah is very cryptic. The Torah says, keep, sh- keep Shabbat. I have no idea how, what, when, where. Put on tefillin. On my nose. On the palm of my hands. Wow, what, when, where. It doesn't tell us. It's the oral Torah that reveals to us in great detail, specifically, how the mitzvah is done. So, it's only the oral Torah that reveals the will of Hashem, more so than the written Torah. And, therefore, he's going to say that there is an advantage because it comes from the will of Hashem. Although Torah is intellect, Torah is the mind of Hashem, when you're studying Torah, you're studying the mind of Hashem. 
you start seeing the world the way God sees this world, you get into God's mind, you become intimate with Hashem because you want to know how Hashem thinks. But nevertheless, the source of Torah is the will of Hashem. Hashem desired the mitzvah. And then the Torah explains the mitzvah and explains how you do the mitzvah. And gives us the reasons. But ultimately, the Torah is really the will of Hashem. And will transcends intellect. Will is much greater than intellect. And the proof is, intellect has a place. It's compartmentalized. Intellect has a seat, a house. What's the house of intellect? The brain. Not in the heart. Just like the heart is the house and the seat of emotions, the brain is the house and seat of intellect. Where's the house and seat for desire, for will? Is any organ in the body that, that contains will? No, will is all-encompassing. There's no specific, it's not compartmentalized, there's no specific place in your body that houses will. Will is your soul. Your soul wills, your soul desires, and your soul is in every part of your body. When your soul wants to move your feet, your legs, your legs move. It doesn't have to go through the mind. It's direct. Because the will is in, is in everything. Everything that you do is motivated by will. Same as with pleasure. There's no, seat, there's no place, it's not compartmentalized. So it transcends, willpower transcends intellect. Because it's all-encompassing. It's a direct movement of the soul. The soul desires versus intellect is the soul has the capacity to comprehend things. It's a capacity of the soul. It's a very compartmentalized capacity of the soul to understand things. Just like the soul has the ability to feel emotions, to get excited, to love, to be attracted, to be repulsed, to hate, to run away from. So these are abilities within the soul. Willpower is not an ability of the soul. Willpower is the soul. The soul moves in this direction. The soul moves in that direction. But it's the soul itself. And just like the soul is all-encompassing, the soul is in every, every one of your hundred trillion cells, the soul is present equally. So too, willpower is all-pervasive. Willpower is, there's no specific place we can compartmentalize, like intellect can compartmentalize to the brain, emotions to the heart. Willpower is all-encompassing. So the will of Hashem is so much greater, transcends the intellect of Hashem. So although we say that the Torah represents Hashem's intellect, it just means that Hashem, that, that the intellect reveals. But where does it come from? Where is the source of Torah? The source of Torah is Hashem's will, His desire, the mitzvot. Then the intellect, Hashem's intellect explains the mitzvah, explains His will, explains the reasons for His will. But the will itself transcends intellect. And that's why we have mitzvot. We have certain mitzvot that remind us of the ultimate source of a mitzvah. There are mitzvot that make sense. They're called mishpatim. Next week's Torah portion. Mishpatim. These are rules, laws that make sense. Thou shalt not steal. Don't kill. These are all things that make sense. It's logical. Then you have the Eidut, mitzvot, which are testimonial mitzvot to commemorate events in our history. And then you have Chukim. A Chuk is Hashem's pure will. There's no reason for it. Don't mix milk and meat. Don't mix wool and linen. The red heifer, we don't, the ultimate Chuk, the ultimate mystical mystery. Why? It doesn't make sense logically. But this is the will of Hashem. So the Chukah reminds us that mitzvot ultimately are the will of Hashem that transcends reason and the truth is by the red heifer the Torah says this is the chayk of the entire Torah because even those mitzvot that do make sense even the logical mitzvot ultimately at the root at the source the reason we do the mitzvot is because this is what Hashem wanted all the reasons in the world that's not the reason why Hashem wanted it it's, these reasons give us a taste. They reveal to us certain aspects of the mitzvah. But it doesn't exhaust the mitzvah. The mitzvah itself is rooted in Hashem's desire, which ultimately transcends logic. 
And the reason that the Jew doesn't steal is not because it makes sense, it's sensible. You know, it's logical, philosophical, it makes sense, we shouldn't steal. Don't do unto others what you don't want to do to yourself. You don't want someone to steal from you, don't steal from them. That's not the reason we do the mitzvah. Ultimately, the reason we do the mitzvah is because this is what Hashem wanted. Because of the fear of God. As we see, those societies that have disconnected themselves from God have become radical atheist societies. Like Tragically, many in, many in this society are trying to push us in that direction. And we see the tragic results. Because when you remove Hashem from the picture, when the only reason not to do something, do something because it's sensible, because it's logical, because it's humanitarian, because it makes sense, you, it, you can rationalize anything. And it ultimately, it won't stop you. Germany was the seat of university, the seat of reasoning. And look where, the, look where they ended up. Who are the biggest, the biggest defenders of, of suicide terrorism are the intelligentsia, the professors. And the biggest enemy of righteousness and goodness, the biggest enemy of the Jews, are the intelligentsia, the so-called pseudo-intellectuals, intelligentsia. So you see that if you just rely on intellect, and you remove the divine aspect, you remove the divinity. The reason you don't steal is because it says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. If you take God out of the picture, if you just base yourself on intellect, you can distort, you can twist, you can rationalize. So ultimately, even the mishpatim, even the logical mitzvot, the root and the source is the divine will which transcends all the logic in the world and all the reasoning in the world. It's only that God revealed His logic, revealed His reasoning, giving us a little taste. That's all it is, a taste. Not that it captures the mitzvah. It captures, it exhausts the mitzvah. The mitzvah itself remains transcendent. It's the will of Hashem. So the Torah ultimately is the divine will. More so than it is the divine wisdom. And where is the divine will revealed? In all its specifics, all its glory, in the Talmud, in the oral Torah. Torah merely precedes it, unfolds from Chachmah. So this is the expression in the Zohar. The Zohar says, Torah emanates from wisdom, from the divine wisdom, the supernal wisdom. So he's explaining, yes, it emanates from the divine wisdom. But that's all it is. It just emanates from the divine wisdom. But where is its true source? Continue. Source and root, however, surpassed by far the rank of Chachma, being that which is referred to as the Blessed One's supreme will. Where does Chachma come from? What precedes Chachma? Keter. Keter, rotten, will. It's the will, and the Chachma emanates from the will. It's like the conscious. Where does the conscious come from? It comes from the subconscious. The root and the source is the subconscious. That's all-encompassing. That's what's really going on. The Chachma is the beginning of consciousness. It's the beginning of revelation. That's all it is. It's all, that's why the Zohar says every letter in the word in the Zohar is holy, is precise. Chachma nafkis. Torah emerges in Chachma. Because Chachma is the beginning where consciousness emerges. But where does it come from? Where's the root and the source? The subconscious, the kesa, the will. That's what it's really all about. Thus it is written, and the following proof text cited here is to illustrate the effect of the Torah upon us all. As with a shield you crown the righteous man with favor. The word here translated favor is ratzon, the same word that has been rendered as will. So too the study of Torah encompasses and protects the soul of the Torah student, like a crown which is placed above the brains which are within the head. So usually katsina usually translates as a shield. Usually the shield does not protect the head. The shield protects the body. A shield, you can have a three-way shield. You know, in the olden days they used to walk around with their soldiers walk around with a shield to protect themselves from the spears. So protect them on three sides. They didn't protect the back, because hopefully they weren't <laughs> officers being attacked by their own, <laughs> own soldiers. So they protected the sides, the front. But here he's saying, since the Torah, since the Pasuk uses the word, you will crown me. 
So obviously we're talking about a shield over the head. Not like it usually means a shield over my body. Here we're talking about a shield over the head. And especially it fits because the Ratzin. Will is a shield over the head. Will transcends the head, transcends the mind. Is the study of the oral Torah reveals God's will, the crown that transcends the level of wisdom, it is therefore able to strengthen the loins, faith, whose purpose it is to support the head, intellect, and the arms, the love and fear of God, the spiritual emotions that are the fruits of intellect. Even though we don't really understand how it works, we shouldn't be surprised. Many things we don't understand in life. Do we understand how the food we eat is our medicine and, and strengthens us and nourishes us and nurtures us? And how the food is digested and how the food is integrated into the system? You don't have to understand understand it fit to work. Even if you don't understand it, if you don't go to school, you don't study medicine, if you'll eat good food, it'll keep you healthy. The body doesn't need your understanding. It doesn't change the fact. The fact is, whether you understand it or not, this is what happens. These are, this is what happens when you eat. The same thing is when you study Torah. When you internalize Torah, and you use your mind to understand the Talmud, when you come to the Wednesday Talmud class, and you learn Torah, and you understand it, and you digest it, the Torah has the spiritual power, since it's the will of Hashem, so it acts as a crown that strengthens your head, strengthens your mind, strengthens your heart, and gives you the ability to perceive godliness in a very powerful way, in a profound way, and it gives you the ability to feel and to sense godliness. Even though you don't see the connection, I'm studying legal law. But you're studying the will of Hashem, which is the source of intellect. Well, when you study the will of Hashem, that strengthens the loins, strengthens your faith, which in turn strengthens your mind and gives you the ability to perceive godliness. So a Jew who doesn't study Talmud is a little weak. He doesn't have that strength, doesn't have, hasn't girdled his loins, doesn't have that extra strength to go the extra mile to be able to really, truly run with his faith and run with his Yiddishkeit. He doesn't have the ability to truly pray properly. A person could think, I want to be spiritual. Let me pray all day. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time to sit and study Talmud. I'm busy praying. So the Torah says, no, you want to pray. You want to be spiritual. You better study Talmud. You better study the oral Torah. Because if you study the oral Torah, this will act as a crown that will strengthen your mind. You don't understand how it works. So, a lot of things you don't understand. As the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe said, when it comes to not understanding, we're all billionaires. Today we would say trillionaires. <laughs> Very wealthy. <laughs> but it doesn't change the realities. But we take it on faith. We know, the Torah tells us, that when you study the oral Torah, when you study the oral Torah properly, when you study the oral Torah not as a game, as just to sharpen your mind or to show everyone, prove everyone how brilliant you are, when you study Torah properly, it's the divine, the will of Hashem. You study it with, with a proper approach, that you're studying something holy and godly, and you treat the Torah with reverence and respect. Then when you study Torah, it gives you that divine strength. It strengthens your faith, which in turn strengthens your mind, and it expands your mind, opens your mind, and, and uh, gives you the ability, allows you to perceive godliness to perceive the infinite and it opens your heart and allows you to feel and to experience Godliness. Is teaching parallels the familiar exposition of the verse, a woman of valor is the crown of her husband. The altar Rebbe explains below in Epistle 29 that a woman of valor alludes to the oral Torah. Its numerous loaves serve as a crown for her husband. Because a woman receives the oral Torah receives from the written Torah. So the written Torah is like the masculine energy, and the oral Torah is the receiving energy, the, the woman, the feminine energy. But the, the Aishas Chayel, the woman of valor, ends up being a crown to her husband, a source of strength to her husband. So even though she's receiving, but at the end of the day, she becomes the ultimate 
giver. She gives to her husband more than she receives. She becomes the crown to her husband. So her husband refers to wisdom. So by studying the oral Torah, this strengthens the intellectual ability of Chachma, the capacity to perceive Godliness. So even though it might be counterintuitive, but that's the fact. By studying Torah, the Torah expands your ability to perceive Godliness and to appreciate Godliness. This teaching likewise recalls the rabbinic teaching that whoever studies Torah knows every day is assured of life in the world to come. For it is the study of the oral Torah that enables one to be receptive to divine revelation in the world to come, as is explained the greater land. So specifically halachas, the law of the Torah, because the law of the Torah represents God's will. Every opinion in Torah is divine and correct and true and genuine. There's no mistakes in the Torah. Every letter and every word is divine. And there's room for all different opinions because they all have a truth to it. But then there is halacha. Halacha is, amongst all the opinions, how am I going to act? I can only follow one opinion when it comes to action. The question is, what is the will of Hashem? So all opinions in the Torah are rooted in God's wisdom. But the halacha is rooted in God's will, which transcends wisdom. And how do we see that? Because again, God's wisdom, wisdom is compartmentalized. Wisdom is in the brain. So too, the wisdom in the Torah, all the different opinions, have a place and a time and a message and a theme and a truth. But it's compartmentalized. Halacha has the ability to encompass the whole person. It transcends the intellect. It's not just an idea, an inspiring idea. It leads to action. It crosses the boundaries between intellect, heart, and action. It's total. It encompasses the person in your totality till it leads you to day-to-day life, into real life, into action. So the halacha is what transcends all boundaries. Halacha is rooted, therefore halacha is rooted in Hashem's will. Hashem Himself. It's infinite. The other parts of the Torah are finite. They're compartmentalized. It's an idea. And therefore you can have competing ideas. And they're both genuine and they're both true. And when you study any opinion in the Torah, even the opinion that's not halacha, you have to make a blessing over the Torah. You're studying Torah. Because there's a room and a place and there's a message and there's a theme and the truth we have to learn from all opinions in the Torah. But it's not halacha. It doesn't carry it out into action. There's only one opinion that carries out into action, into real life, into daily life. This is rooted in the divine will, which is infinite, which is not compartmentalized, which is all-encompassing, which touches the totality of the person. So that's why he says, whoever studies halacha in Torah, whoever studies the divine will, which is called the crown of the Torah, then he will merit, he will be able to receive the life, the world, the world to come, the revelation of godliness that will be revealed in Olam Haba which is a revelation of Hashem's will, a glimpse of Hashem's will. So is it saying that we, that we could only study halacha or we, or can only study, or we should study the, the Gemara as it leads to the halacha? Right. So we study the Gemara, because without the Gemara you can never get to halacha. Unless you study the whole body of laws and all the opinions and take everything into consideration, only then could you, get, could you distill the essence and come to the halacha. That's why Maimonides incorporated the whole Torah, but he incorporated the whole Torah with halacha. Because that's the crown of Torah. That's the crown jewel of Torah. This is the will of Hashem. Distilled, the distilled will of Hashem. After all the conversation and all the controversy and all the different opinions, ultimately this is the will of Hashem. And that's why the Gemara says, the Talmud says, Eilu ve'eilu divra lakim chayim. Every word in Torah, the different opinions of Shammai and Hillel, they're both the words of the living God. But as Alter Rebbe pointed out in the introduction to the Tanya, of the first part of the Tanya, which you can find, thank God, in lessons in Tanya.com, Alter Rebbe points out that there the Gemara uses the expression Elohim Chai. Elohim is God's name where God limits himself. Because this is like a limited expression of God. 
You can have this opinion, you can have that opinion, but it's a compartmentalized opinion. You can learn a lesson from every opinion, and every opinion has a valid lesson we can apply to our lives, and we can learn something from, and that's why we have to make a blessing over the Torah. It's genuine, it's divine, even if we don't follow that opinion. But there's a message there that's applicable to us, in the spiritual sense, in the personal sense. But then, halacha, it says about King David, Hashem Yimoy. God is with him because the law is always like King David. Hashem, he uses God's name, personal name. Not the name Elohim, but God's personal name. When God is past, present, and future together, God is infinite. What's the expression of God's infinite self, his undefined self? That expressed in Allah. That captures the will of Hashem. That's the crown of the Torah. So that's why he says, not only someone who studies the oral Torah, but even more so, since the whole advantage of the oral Torah, as we just learned at great length, is because it's the will of Hashem. Ultimately, where is the, the will of Hashem ultimately expressed? In the halacha of Torah. If you study halacha, then you promise that you will have a share in the world to come, that you'll have the vessel to receive, to, to receive this infinite light, to receive a glimmer of this infinite light, because you've studied the halacha. That's the respect we have for halacha. That's why not everyone is able to give the halacha. You have to have special divine assistance. A genuine rabbi and a rabbi that's accepted by the majority of the Jewish people has that divine assistance. And therefore, what's the quality to be a rabbi, to have to be the halacha? So the Talmud says, in the arguments in Shammai and Hillel, Shammai was sharper than Hillel. Shammai had a better brain than Hillel was much more brilliant than Hillel. Hillel himself admitted that Shammai was more brilliant. Hillel respected Shammai by, by always allowing Shammai to speak first. But who does Allah follow? Hillel. Why? What quality did Hillel have that qualified him to be the ultimate authority in Allah, to give the ultimate verdict? His humility. Because he would allow Shammai to speak first. Even though he vehemently disagreed. Because that humility, this is the quality that connects you with Hashem. Moshe was the most humble person that lived. He received the Torah. Where is Hashem found? Hashem is not impressed with our brilliance. He can speak 70 languages. Hashem is not too impressed. Why did God fall in love with the Jewish people? Not because of our looks, because of our brains. Torah says, you know why? Because you are the smallest of all the nations. So Rashi right away says, why is that a reason to fall in love with us? Because we're small. We're tiny. No, Rashi says, because you make yourself small. You're humble. Avram, the first Jew, the pioneer. He says, I'm dust and ashes. Moshe, we just read the Shabbos. We're nothing. King David, I'm like a worm, what am I? Not he said it. They felt it. You know, it's like that story with the uh, Anyam Kippur. The rabbi suddenly, the pack shul, starts bowing down, prostrating himself in the floor. He says, oh yeah, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. When the president of the shul sees this, he bows down, he says, oh yeah, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. When the Gabbai sees the rabbi and this praying down, the shaman, she also starts bowing down. He says, oh, yeah, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. The rabbi kicks the president and says, eh, look who thinks he's nothing. So it's Hashem looks at the heart. So humility. It's because Hillel was humble. This quality is intangible. This quality, Hashem is not impressed with brilliance. So you're brilliant, so what? So what? What your brilliance is nothing. It's mental kind. Humility. This is what grabs Hashem. So in order to have halacha, to be able to catch the will of Hashem, to be able to zero in on the will of Hashem, to capture the Ein Sof, the infinite, to be able to know exactly what Hashem wants, and that this is how He wants us to live and to behave in our practical life, to be able to transcend all the boundaries, and it shouldn't remain compartmentalized, but this idea in Torah should not only live in our minds and live in our hearts and live in our souls, but live in action as well. This you need humility. That's why a rabbi has to be God-fearing. Just because a person is brilliant, 
we're not impressed with the brilliance, per se. But so what? Aristotle was also brilliant. Plato was also brilliant. He was a cruel person, a monster. So what? Who cares? He was a very cruel person. The things that Plato advocated, all his brilliance, he was just a very cruel person. So what? So we, who, who's impressed? Who cares? That's not, that's not the a key quality. The key quality is humility. Only then are you able to tune in and to zero in exactly what Hashem wants. Hashem wants of us. How we live, how we should behave on a daily basis, in our real life. That's why he specifies halacha. This then is the meaning of the verse, she girds her loins with strength. There is no strength but Torah. For it gives power and strength to the loins, the faith, to the soul which are girded and embodied in it, to strengthen and fortify its arms, namely the intellectually generated or innate awe and love in each man according to his measure. Everyone according to his measure, because like he said earlier, some people have the power and the ability to generate a, a genuine emotion based on their understanding. In other words, their understanding is so powerful and it's so crystal clear that they could generate a new emotion. They could change. They can change their personality, they can change their character. Naturally, we're all born, we're tuned in to materialism. That's what excites us, that's what we respond to, that's what we care about. But if a person's intellect is so profound and so powerful, and he truly understands and perceives godliness, and starts sensing the infinite, you can tr- radically transform yourself and suddenly you start desiring godliness. Even though most people can't relate to it, they don't know what you're talking about because they don't see godliness. To them it's so abstract, it's so far removed, it's so otherworldly that the only reality to them is the here and now. Money, power, indulgence, fame, it's the only thing they respond to. You talk about godly things it's like the deaf person. Imagine a deaf person walking into a, uh, walking into a wedding hall and he sees everyone dancing. He doesn't hear anything. To him, it sounds crazy. Why are all these people excited? They're all dancing and jumping up and down. Can't hear the music. So most people are very, um, very materialistic. And when they see a spiritual person, they see a Jew getting all excited about godliness and godly things and mitzvot and Torah, they, they can't relate to it. This is, what's going on here? You know, where are we running? Why are we so excited? We're not running to Las Vegas. <laughs> Why are we getting all excited? Why are we jumping up and down? Because he, can't, he doesn't understand. But a person whose mind is so powerful, and even though you can't see physically, you can't see spirituality and godliness, but if your mind starts perceiving and understanding the realities of Hashem, it becomes so crystal clear to you that it generates, it changes your whole being, your whole personality. Now you desire godliness. You don't care for materialism anymore. What's materialism? It's skin deep, it's superficial, it's nothing, it's empty, there's nothing there. You, all you desire is reality and truth, which is Hashem. So that, not everyone has that ability. It takes a very powerful intellect. It takes a very profound mind, and it takes someone with a lot of zitzvah. Because even if you do have a powerful mind, you have to use that mind. <laughs> A thief is not someone who could steal. A thief is someone who steals. Many people have great intellects, but they're just too lazy. They just never use it. They have no interest in using it. You have to have a lot of zitzflesh. You have to use it. You have to reflect, meditate, internalize. Then you have a person. This most of us are capable of achieving. All you have to do is awaken that natural instinct that every Jew is born with. Because we're born Jewish, our mother is Jewish, or we converted halachically, we have a Jewish soul, instinctively we respond to godliness. Instinctively we have a connection to godliness. It's not our choice. We're just born with that instinct. And all you have to do is awaken it. It's there, but it's buried, it's submerged. So by meditating and reflecting, you can awaken this instinct. So which one is more powerful? First one or the second one? The one who creates and gives birth to an emotion because of the strength of his intellect 
or the person who just uses the intellect as a wake-up call, as a reminder of that natural instinct that we all have. A reminder of what's important in life and what's real in life. Which one is more powerful? Well, the first one is much more powerful because it's a real change. It's a re- it's, it means you've really internalized God. It's, it's become you, the real you. The second one, where you just awaken your instinct, it's your instinct. It's not you. It's, it's, you have this instinct. You have this sense that you're born with. You just, you just have to awaken it. But it, you haven't really changed. But either way, that's what he says. Either way, everyone according to his level. Not everyone has the capacity to reach the highest level, but even the second level. So by studying the Torah, specifically by studying the Talmud, the oral Torah, specifically by studying Halacha, it strengthens our mind to be able to accomplish everyone according to their own level. Either it'll strengthen our mind to be able to awaken that natural instinct that we have towards godliness, or even better yet, if we have the capacity, we can strengthen our mind to be able to reach the level where we could develop a full-fledged emotion. That's what he means, that a warrior, before he goes to war, you girdle your loins. You strengthen your loins to be able to go faster and quicker and longer. So too, to strengthen your faith, to be able to uphold your mind, you have to strengthen it, you have to girdle yourself by studying Torah. This, by this you girdle yourself. As regards supporting and sustaining the head of the soul, in other words, the intellect that contemplates, Solomon said, she perceives that her trade is good. A metaphor which is explained elsewhere. He says, taste tarma, taste it, because the, uh, the merchandise is good. By studying the oral Torah, revealing the will of Hashem, it strengthens your mind and enables you to understand and to contemplate. Okay, but here, that's why he puts it in parentheses, but the, the, the end of the letter, which he continues on top of page 17, here he's going to focus on the end result of this strengthening. Strengthen your loins, strengthen your your faith by studying the oral Torah, specifically the halachas of Torah, which strengthen your mind and ultimately strengthen your heart. And that's the end goal. The end goal is to strengthen your heart. Strengthens your experiencing God, feeling God, sensing God. Because after everything is said and done, a person is his heart. A person is his emotions. The brains, per se, are like a, a computer chip. computer chip is brilliant. But the intellect has no effect. If the intellect does not refine a person, and it doesn't help you refine your character, it doesn't help your heart, you know, that's the moment of truth. Everything, everything in life, there's a test. How do I know if I'm kidding myself? How do I know if it's for real? It has to be a test. You know, we, to be honest with yourself, how do I know if this is for real? Look at the effect. So if the intellect doesn't lead to the heart, doesn't lead to a feeling for Hashem, a feeling for God, a love for Hashem, a sense of awe of Hashem's presence, the reality of Hashem, if it doesn't lead to experience, that's the test that my understanding is very superficial. It's not for real. Some people get so carried away with their brilliance and their understanding that they forget to test it. A reality check. This is the reality check. And that's what he's going to focus on on the rest of the letter. That how do I know that the studying of Torah that you study the Torah properly, that you girdle your loins, and that the loins strengthen your mind, if it strengthens your heart and strengthens your arms, which, as he said, means your love of Hashem and your awe of Hashem. That your prayer was on a much higher level, on a much deeper level, that you prayed properly. If the studying of Torah leads you to pray, then I know that the studying of Torah is proper. But if the studying of Torah causes you that you have no time to pray, 
I'm so busy studying Torah. I'm so caught up in the intellectual excitement of studying Torah that I have no time to pray. I have no time to focus. I have no time to concentrate, to think about Hashem. You're studying Torah, you're studying the will of Hashem. You're studying the divine divinity of Hashem. And you have no time to think about Hashem. That's why the Kabbalists wrote so sharply about those who don't study Kabbalah. The, the four parts of the Torah are called Pardis. Pardis is a garden. Pardis is four letters. Prat, Remez, Drush, and Soyu. Prat is simple meaning. Remez is the hint. Drush is the allegory. And the Soyd is the secrets of the Torah, the soul of the Torah. If you remove the last letter, what are you left with? Peret. You know what a peret is? A mule. So the Kabbalists wrote, anyone who just studies the revealed part of the Torah and doesn't want to know about the Kabbalah is a mule. Because you forget the divinity of the Torah. You're so busy studying Torah. What are you studying? You're studying Plato? You're studying Aristotle? You're studying Hashem's Torah. You're studying Hashem's will. You're studying the infinite. You're studying God's mind. And as he explained here, not only God's mind, God's will, God's infinite self. God invested himself in the Torah. So you're so busy studying Torah, but you forgot what it's all about. You forgot the soyed, the secret, the soul, the clincher, the punchline. Like telling a joke and missing the punchline. You forgot what it's all about. So you have no time to study. You have no time to pray. Because I'm so busy studying, I don't have time to pray. I just, what does that mean? What does that tell us? It means you're enjoying the learning, the understanding, the brilliance. You know, if you went to university and you studied math, you would enjoy that also. But Torah is not math. Torah is not science. Torah is not physics. Torah is infinite. Torah is Hashem. Torah is the divine. It's way beyond all the sciences and way beyond all the brilliance and all. Ultimately, you're dealing here with something that's incomprehensible. You're dealing here with with the infinite of Hashem Himself. So you don't have time to pray. As a matter of fact, it's studying Torah that enables you to pray properly. By studying Torah and studying Torah properly and studying something, some, the will of Hashem that strengthens you, that strengthens your loins, strengthens your faith, strengthens your mind and ultimately strengthens your heart, that you should be able to experience and to feel some godliness, experience godliness. Feel a love, a tug in your heart towards godliness, an attraction towards godliness. That's the ultimate goal that's the ultimate reality test. As it says in the Pasuk, Know your Father in Heaven. Know your, your, the God of your fathers. And serve Him believe Shalom, the heart, the complete heart. That's the bottom line. That's what Hashem wants. It's like that quality of humility, that genuineness. That's what Hashem wants. A pure heart, a good heart. He wants a Jew should be passionate. A Jew should be on fire. On fire with godliness. That happens in prayer, and that comes about through the study. However, the occasion and time to strengthen and purification of the arms, i.e. spiritual motion, and the head, i.e. the intellect, is the time of morning prayer. For God, that is the time of compassion, the time at which the supreme will is revealed. So it's not only uh, the morning prayer is the longest of all the prayers. And it's the first thing you do in the morning. It's the first thing you do to center yourself, to be focused, start the day. First you have to be centered and focused and connected. But it's also the appropriate time, because in the morning the sun rises, it's a new day, it's a fresh day. And, you know, we we wake up energized you know, fully refreshed, rejuvenated, pun intended, because it's a time when Hashem, the sun is shining. It means in heaven the sun is shining. Godliness is open. Hashem is accessible. I don't know, some morning people could relate to it. You know, some people are night people. I don't know, are you a morning person or you're a night person? I'm a morning person. Morning person. Yeah, me too. I'm a morning person. Some, you know, when you're early, your mind is fresh. But some people are the opposite. Some people are night people. They, they don't wake up at night when everyone else is asleep um, but the but the morning is a time when everything is fresh it's brand new it means in heaven there's an opening the openness and therefore it's an appropriate time to pray it's conducive to prayer 
the morning time is conducive. When the halacha gives us a certain parameter to pray, because it's conducive to prayer. The morning is a time that's conducive to prayer. The heavens are open. And our hearts are open. Because we're a reflection of, of an high, of heaven. So that's the, specifically the morning prayer. That's a time of mercy and compassion when Hashem, is, His will is, is open, when He's accessible. So therefore, since it's the will of Hashem, that strengthens the arm and the head by studying the will of Hashem, studying the oral Torah. So when is the best time to pray? When the will of Hashem is revealed, which is in the morning. So that's the best time when your mind is open, when you can truly perceive godliness. And spiritually, spiritual emotions, you can develop and experience godliness and feel and create a feeling for godliness, a love for holiness and for godliness. That's the purpose of the morning prayer. If prayer was just about asking for our needs, we can make it very short. Prayer is an hour. What do you need an hour for your needs? Take a laundry list. Okay, this is what I need. Take you two minutes, one minute, three minutes. Okay, you have a lot of needs. Five minutes. But why this whole structure of morning prayer? Because prayer is not just asking for our needs. Prayer is a time to connect, to be centered, to be focused, a time to develop that feeling, that spiritual sensitivity that feeling for Hashem, which sets the tone for the entire day. That gives you the energy to, get, to face all the challenges of the day and to keep you centered and focused for the entire day. We have to remember that Chabad, this was the uniqueness of Chabad. Everyone knew that the Chabad Hasidim prayer, it placed a special emphasis on prayer. Chabad is wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And it's studying Hasidus in great length and great depth. And it's studying the revealed part of the Torah in great length and in great depth. As we just finished saying, everyone's finished the entire Shas, the entire Talmud together. But ultimately, the mark of a Chabad Hasid was how he prayed. Chabad Hasid would spend hours praying. He took prayer to heart. He took prayer very seriously. It wasn't just mouthing words. He tried to live it, experience it. When he said, love Hashem with all your heart, he tried to actually love Hashem with all his heart. Mean it and, and live it and experience it. And the only way to achieve it is through first understanding, study, and then meditating and reflecting. And then either awakening that natural instinct that we all have, or even better, to truly develop a full-blown emotion an attraction towards godliness. And this takes time. There's no shortcuts. There's no, there's no, even in our day and age, everything is instant. Even instant coffee takes time. Nothing in life is instant. Even though we're living in the, in the age of the Pentium speed, you still have to eat properly. If you don't eat properly, it, the food will become counterproductive. It won't do anything for you. You have to chew slowly, digest it properly. There's no rushing. Certain things in life you can't rush. Everything today is rush, 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 rush. Do it yesterday. Certain things in life you can't rush. You can't. And if you rush it, it's going to become counterproductive. Prayer is all about slowing down. A whole day is rush, 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 rush. Prayers, slow down. Quiet. Close your eyes. Connect. Reflect. Meditate. Internalize. Think about Hashem. Think about the words. You're standing in front of Hashem. It's a time to become centered and focused. And there are, no, there are no shortcuts. The whole Chabad approach is the long, short way. There are no shortcuts. It doesn't work. And if you try to create a shortcut, it's going to backfire. All those parents who had no time for their children. You know, you, didn't, you had no time for your children. You're going to end up spending more time because we're going to have to save them from a rehab, a drug rehab, and we're going to have to save them from this and that. How much time are you spending? You didn't save a minute of time. You were so busy. You had no time. It's not going anywhere. It's not a solution. There's no shortcuts in life. You have to cook something. You have to cook it properly. It takes time. You want to prepare a good dish? You have to give it the time and the attention. You want to learn something properly, you have to give it the time and the attention. You have to pickle something. It takes time, there's no rush. You want to pickle something, you've got you to gotta have patience. You've got to sit there and you have to pickle and let it settle. So everything is a rush. 
Superficial things you can be in a rush, but not things that matter. Because if you rush through life, you miss out on everything. You miss out on everything. I mean, everyone is such a rush that no one does anything properly, and you miss out on everything, and you're not saving any time. Because you end up having to go back and do it and get it right. You know, it's like life tells us until you get it right, you're not going anywhere. What was that famous singer who was singing? He was singing uh, opera and and everyone said, uh, Ankur, Ankur, and he sang it again. Ankur, Ankur. After the tenth time, he says, How many times do you want me to sing it? He says, You're going to sing it until you get it right. Okay. <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no, you know, life is, life is real. Life is genuine. God is genuine. You want to bluff your way through life, you want to get through life. You know, the only one you're bluffing is yourself. You're not cutting any corners, you're not getting away with anything. Everything catches up. So either you're going to spend the time, and do it right. And then you save yourself. It's a long, short way. Then you save yourself time. And then you save yourself a lot of grief. So prayer is a time to slow down. You can't rush. You can't. So this was the mark of the Chabad Chassid. That he took his prayer very seriously. Prayer wasn't just perfunctory, a duty that you did to get back to learning. Okay, let, you know, let me finish praying. Let me run back to the real thing. No, no. Prayer is what the learning was all about. This was the moment of truth. This is when you achieved humility. This is when you became a little genuine. This is when you did a little soul-searching. This is when you were a little honest with yourself. This is when you came face-to-face with Hashem. This is, this is when you came alive. This is when everything that you've learned, you've internalized and truly taken to heart and truly come alive and apply it to real life and to your personal life. So this is what Dr. Rebbe is going to conclude the letter we'll learn next week, the emphasis on prayer. And, um, and he writes very strong, strong language, but will uh, be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.